Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So today we are going to, um, I guess, have our third Q&A that we've ever done, uh, a follow-up to the one we did last week. Um, we got a lot of great questions uh, that came in from that um, you know, since, since, since we recorded that episode. And I think it was really, it's a good time to, to talk through some of these things. I think this is always an awkward time you know, for in Apple developer land, because this is the quiet period before WDC. And then, you know, in the summer, things will pick up dramatically and there'll be a lot more um, topical and interesting things. But it's also really interesting for me just to hear from uh, listeners of the show and the kind of topics and things that you're interested in. Because as you know, as creators of something like a podcast, it's it's very often, um, you know, it 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 can often be somewhat one way, and so it's really nice to just hear what you guys are interested in hearing us talk about, and um, so that's really useful. So we're going to do another one of those um, this week. So our first question uh, comes from Rick, who asks, uh, "What does you know, your app's server infrastructure look like?" And I think uh, we're going to answer this question slightly more broadly, just like in general, having a kind of a a high level talk about. Um, the way we do servers. Uh, it was a question that was asked by many other people. If we didn't happen to pick your question, apologies. But we had a lot of general questions about like, how does our, how do we structure our servers? How do we kind of strategies and things that we take for that uh, and getting into backups and scalability and so on? Like there's lots of questions about that. And I think getting into the specifics, like the specific specifics, um, is probably not particularly helpful. Um, I mean, I think there's something to be said for, you know, the nature of any server, any server infrastructure you create is that it is immediately, um, sort of obsolete and uh, outdated in the sense that I'm sure there's a better, um, high, you know, at, at, at the low level, there's probably always a better approach or something, some new hotness that people would recommend or say, oh, we're doing this wrong or this wrong. Um, or even just in general that the, you have, there's a lot of, kind of these opinions about, well, this is the way that I do it. This is the way that you should do it and so on. So I think in general, rather than talking about the actual specific details of like, I use this version of this package um, to manage my servers, or I use this library for this, or, you know, this web, this web host, it's like, these, this is at a high level, what I've, we, we have found, I think, to work well. And I think that is useful and probably much more constructive. And then the details in your specific um, installation will vary. Um, so for me, I from I have a variety of different servers that I manage as part of my work. Um, I think I have four apps that have server backends to them. Um, the biggest one for me is Feed Wrangler, which is my RSS syncing platform, and so I'll talk about that one probably in depth because it's the sort of the superset of everything else. Um, so it is I host it at uh, I host it with a, on a Linode VPS or a series of those. Um, in front of those, like I'll sort of starting from the client and working back, I have. A, a, pro, I guess it's like a proxy, we call it, or a, ba- a, no, a load balancer out in the front. Requests go to there. They then go to a variety of uh, web servers. I always have at least three um, because then if one goes down uh, or I need to take one down for maintenance, then there's at least two others. And so then you, you're you not falling down to just one at any one time. Um, so I go out to three. I have a main database server. Uh, I have a variety of utility servers. Uh, for an RSS syncing system, you have a lot of scrapers and kind of things that are do- these sort of task-based systems that are being um, spun up and spun down all the time. So I have a couple of utility servers. Um, I have, which I have a memcached server that's just basically just sitting there to be a big pile of memory to do basic caching. Um, and I think that's it. That's sort of at a high level, the way that I structure things. Um, I do backups at multiple levels. I have a continuous backup of my 
main database that is always running that is just sort of doing this binary log streaming version of that to you know to take take all of the, the data in real time um, and doing a backup as well as taking advantage of a variety of other kind of more snapshot based uh, snapshots that you know so if for whatever reason my binary logs or things got corrupted I can you know fall back to you know a less precise snapshot uh, you know for a particular point in time that's sort of my general approach you know i i've i've done servers big and small and at a high level the the biggest piece of advice i can give anybody when doing server work uh especially you know in the context of ios apps where like your job is not to be the coolest server developer in the world your job is to make an app that happens to include a server as part of how it works um my best advice I can possibly give is to have your server side stack be as boring and established as possible. And you never, you never want to be on the cutting edge of anything server side, like anything, the software, the hardware, anything you want to be as boring as possible. So this means using tools in your stack that have been around for a while that are well understood that other people are using way more people than you are using at scale um, and so everyone else can run into the bugs who's on the, who's on the cutting edge. Let them fix things. Let them patch things. Let them find the limits and, and fix them or at least document them. You should not be doing that on your server because you can't afford the time. <laughs> Simple as that. Like That's a whole different thing that honestly i think nobody should be doing but but if you you know maybe like if you're if your entire career is going to be cutting edge server side stuff you know maybe you can consider it then but in the context of what listeners of this show are doing and need to do and the context of what i've always needed to do boring established server side stacks are best so you know in my show in my case i use php which is pretty much the definition of boring established and battle tested um and i use mysql for the database which again boring established tested google and facebook use tools like this and if they don't run into problems with it i know i won't run into problems with it or at least any problem i run into will be well documented we'll have tons of people online if you search for it if you run into a problem you can figure out a way around it or you can figure out what you're doing wrong anything cutting edge is going to have problems with this um, you know, because it's just newer. There's less help. There's it's moving more quickly. It's changing more quickly. It's going to be less stable just by definition of being newer. And and so, keep things boring and old and stable. Other than that, you know, I structure things similarly. You know, I have a load balancer um, through our sponsor this week, Linode. Actually, I use their node balancer in front of things now. I used to do software load balancers, things like HA proxy, um, but it I just don't need them anymore. Um, I have web servers behind that, all hitting databases. Uh, that's a, I mean, and then a couple of servers that that are neither web servers nor databases that are kind of just doing like other app related tasks, things like crawling or processing or generating backups or things like that. That's about it. Again, it's it's not something you should really be overthinking or over designing. I wouldn't suggest um, doing any anything that requires like fancy scaling things, like uh, say database sharding, for instance, is one thing that I've found is almost never worth doing for almost anybody uh, until you get to a very very large scale um, thing. You know, uh, crazy kind of like distributed tools, things like Cassandra, really usually not necessary for anybody operating at our scale or even much bigger than our scale. <laughs> um, you know, if you use boring things like MySQL or Postgres, like if you use them well and properly, you can get very, very far with them without going to anything crazier. Um, keep it simple, keep it old, keep it boring. Because you got to keep in mind, like your job is 
to make this app that you're making or to make this service that you're making, nobody cares how fancy your server-side stuff is. And if you're working by yourself or with a small group of people and listening to this show, no matter what you think, you are not at the scale where you need to be using you know, cutting edge or less commonly used things. You're just not. Like Google AdWords ran on MySQL for a very long time, long after all of us heard of it and started using it. Uh, Twitter ran on MySQL until I think at least about 2009 or so, uh, and probably even past that. Uh, like, you know, Facebook used PHP until they kind of developed their own weird uh, offshoot of it. Wikipedia still uses PHP. Like, it, these are these are tools that, like, Anything that you think, like, you know, X or Y doesn't scale, if you've heard that or if you think that, you're probably not right about that. <laughs> you're like, almost everything scales um, if you, if you, you know, learn how to use it responsibly. The only thing I, I would also say about that, if possible, is to basically make all of your requests stateless so that any request can go to any server and it still works just fine. Um, so, you know, that basically it's, it, it, that doesn't take that much to avoid just like avoiding like session state, basically being stored a server side. Um, that's, that's about all you need for that. And be very, very careful when going to database replication setups at, where you'd have like, you know, kind of like a, a master slave kind of setup. Um, I, I use those. I've used them a lot. They are extraordinarily prone to weird caching bugs if you're not careful. And I've, you know, built up my own framework over time to make it a little bit easier and to make it more automated where, you know, I'm not like caching stale data from the from the read slave or anything else. But like, just be careful when you do that kind of complexity. In general, it is much better to scale up like a single master database or to split it between multiple master databases with like, you know, different tables in one, different tables in the other before you go to replication setups because replication just introduces so many subtle little bugs and uh, and little problems. But yeah, otherwise, again, just keep it simple, keep it old. And this is a really good time to tell you about our sponsor, which is Linode. <laughs> Linode is my favorite web host. It's where all of my servers are. I have uh, something like 20 servers there, something in that ballpark. With Linode, you have access to a suite of powerful hosting options with prices starting at just $5 a month. You can be up and running with your own virtual server in the Linode cloud in under a minute. Whether you are just getting started with one server, which is where you should probably start, or whether you're deploying a more complex system like what me and Dave have, Linode is the right choice for you. Linode has the fastest hardware network, fantastic customer support behind it all. It has never been easier to launch a Linode cloud server. And they guarantee 99.9% uptime for server availability. Once your server is up, they intend to keep it that way. And they now also have block storage out of beta. This is available in Fremont and Newark, and they're expanding it to all data centers by June. Linode is great for things like hosting large databases, running mail servers, operating VPNs, running Docker containers. I got. I, I really intend to actually learn Docker soon. Uh, I it's it's one of those things that like it's it's kind of like flossing. Like you know you should do it, and I just still haven't really gotten into the habit yet. But I really got to learn Docker. Um, hosting a private Git server, you can do that there too, and so much more. And Linode's even hiring right now. If that if that interests you, go to Linode.com/careers. So Linode has fantastic pricing options. Plans start at just one gig of RAM for just five dollars a month, and they have all sorts of plans that go up from there, including high memory plans. As a listener of this show, if you sign up at Linode.com/radar, you will be supporting us and 
you will get $20 towards any Linode plan. So if you choose, for example, the one gig plan, that's four months free. And with a seven-day money-back guarantee, there is nothing to lose. So go to linode.com slash radar to learn more, sign up, and take advantage of that $20 credit, or use promo code RADAR2018 at checkout. Thank you so much to Linode for supporting the show. So related to uh, server development, uh, another question that we had that I think has come up many times, uh, Brad Payne asks, our thoughts on when, if, Swift server development will ever become a thing? And... um. It's, I struggle to answer this question because I feel like it's, it's both feels inevitable and it seems like it's never going to happen. Um, at both at the exact same time for me that, um, I, it seemed like Swift, if I felt more confident about Swift as a general purpose, like, like this is going to be the language of the future, um, then it would seem inevitable that it will eventually be used for server development. Um, I think they're like, that is just part and parcel of like, you know, whatever the most dominant languages that are being used, um, by the most developers in the world, like because web development is such a, a significant part of that. And inevitably frameworks and things are going to spring up that let you use those skills in those places. Um, the thing that is awkward, I think, is at least at this point, you know, Swift doesn't quite feel like it has that broad appeal yet. Um, and it's I mean, in a weird way, Swift sometimes still feels like it's still, you know, in its infancy and still growing up. And they're still making so many changes to the language at such a pace and level that um, it's if you aren't an iOS developer, I could see it being difficult to want to you know, dive into it and use it as just like a general purpose language. And so I think at some point it might, but I think it seems very far off at this point. And I think, um, if, you know, if, if Swift server is like your jam, then go for it. Like, that sounds great. And I'm certainly, I'm glad that there are probably people who are driving that forward. Um, but I think for, in general, my advice at this point for most iOS developers is just like you were saying earlier is to use boring tools for your for your server side and use things that are kind of old and battle tested that the benefits you would get from reusing, you know, you using the same language on your client and your server are probably fairly minor because at the end of the day, like it's just going to end up being JSON being passed back and forth between these two apps or like between these two things. And once you've gotten through the translation part of that, what, what, what they actual are speaking is only useful on the server um, like in very specific cases, if you have some kind of specific business logic that you want to replicate in both places, but then you have to start wondering, like, do I really want to replicate this in both places? Is this, or should this really be, you know, maintained in one place and so on? So I think it's at some point it seems possible, but it doesn't seem like for me anyway, something that um, is likely in the short term or something that uh, I'm putting much interest and uh, attention on. Yeah, I, I would love to have Swift on the server be a big thing that takes off because I'm not that into the idea of necessarily sharing a bunch of code between client and server because, you know, for the reasons you said, like, I don't I don't think I'd actually be doing that very much um, if, if ever because the needs are so different and what you're dealing with is so different. But I would like to only master one language as, like, my next language for client and server. Right now, I, I, you know, the languages that I actually use in practice are basically Objective-C, PHP, and a very small amount of Go uh, for a few server things that, that PHP just didn't do that well, and Go just does a better job of that kind of task. So that's about it. Like I, and, and I don't like Go that much. It's fine. I would love for PHP 
I mean, for for Swift to replace everything everywhere, because the kind of, you know, just like the style of programmer I am is I don't learn every single language out there. I learn a small number. I try to master them as much as possible. And I try to be very productive in those until it's not possible anymore to be productive in those. <laughs> like until I have until I'm forced to go do something else because learning new languages and, and starting from zero and my skill level is, is just not something I find fun. Um, although that's very different for, for every programmer. So you might be one of those people anyway. So, you know, Swift in the server, it, you know, it does, it goes against everything we just said about like do things that are old and stable and, and established. I don't know who's using Swift on the server at any kind of scale or for any kind of complex code base. I have no idea. There might be people out there doing that. I think it's fairly unlikely. Um, and, and it's just, it's so new right now. So maybe in five years, that might be a more established thing to do. And there might be a lot of people doing that. Maybe there would be like, you know, great library support and everything. Because the thing is like on the server side, the language matters a little bit, but what matters a lot in practice also is just like what kind of built-in libraries and functionality and good third-party libraries are available to do things that people commonly need to do on web servers. So, you know, that's one of the reasons PHP took off so well because it had a whole bunch of very common web stuff just built right into the language that was super easy to use. And, you know, anything that you that you'd have to do on a server, you know, Various like you know form processing things, uh, image uh, image operations for processing and generating images. Um, you know, a lot, obviously tons of string processing, some network stuff. Like, there's all sorts of stuff that that you need to do on the server that you don't always you know that that usually aren't built into a language. Like that usually have to come via some kind of third party library. And there and you know there's a reason why certain languages take off on the server and and most don't. You know, Objective C on the server never really went anywhere, except I think that's what WebObjects is, or was it Java? Anyway, like certain languages just make server tasks easier. Swift, I don't think, is inherently one of those languages. So to for it to become really awesome on the server, it's going to have to have a very large library developed for it that be, that becomes you know either an official standard library for web serving type needs or a very 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 popular third party one that effectively becomes the platform similar to how rails kind of did that for ruby rails is not made by the guy who made ruby but it is it basically became like the de facto platform for writing web apps using ruby and so we need basically the rails for swift I have not been following that community at all, so I don't know if that exists yet, but it's probably too early in its lifetime and usage to really have a clear winner there, even if some appear to be front runners right now. Um, and when you're developing server apps that support your iOS app and your and your heart's really in the iOS app and you're kind of doing the server apps kind of the same way you do your taxes like, because you have to... <laughs> uh, that's not a great reason to to pick Swift for the server, um, and and I hope someday that it will be a more responsible and and boring and old choice. Uh, but we're not there yet. Yeah, and I think the reality too is it's just it's going to have to be better than everything else that it currently exists. Like the 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 problem or the that a new web platform has to overcome gets harder and harder over time because there are so many very reliable, well-trusted, established players. Um, and so, like, one day it may happen, but it's, like, it's going to have to be incredibly compelling in the way that, like, Rails was compelling to learn Ruby because it was a totally sort of, at the time, it was a totally different sort of paradigm for web development that, at the you know, is superficially super powerful and straightforward and simple. Um, and so, like, that's what allowed it to overcome it. And so I think something, you know, something similarly would have to come along um, that made it just that much more compelling. 
Yeah, and also like with server-side languages, the language is only one, you know, as, as I was saying earlier, the language is only kind of one part of why you want to use it. There's all these like built-in libraries and everything too. There's also a third part of that, which is how easy it is to administer and run servers that use this language. So th- that includes things like how easy is it to install it from from the, like the most common Linux package managers? You know, it, do you have to like build it from source? Do you have to update it frequently? Can you use just like, you know, apt-get or yum or something like that to automatically install it with one line of code in your config script and can you have it updated on you know on a regular basis and not break things um you know things like that and and then when you're administering the servers are you getting woken up in the middle of the night with pingdom alerts because the you know the the app server process crashed or it was leaking memory and it ran out of memory and the whole server is now down or something like that like are you dealing with stuff like that on a regular basis or you know it, it, like why bother doing that when you can use something like I use PHP and PHP, like the server just doesn't crash. Like I've never, I, that is never a problem I have. And it hasn't been for a decade at least. Like, <laughs> like the web server just doesn't crash. I have other problems, things like, Oh, like there's a huge flood of traffic and MySQL is starting to back up and, you know, connection starting to back up. Like that could be a problem, but the actual like server processes for the server language, like if you choose an old boring thing, like there's problems you don't have to deal with where the, any of the newer things just by being newer, you're going to probably be dealing with things like memory leaks and occasional crashes. And that just adds to the burden of running your own servers. And, you know, a lot of the like automatic, you know, more abstract cloud platforms, like various like app engines and stuff like that. The the reason people go to those a lot of the times is that they don't theoretically have to deal with, annoying little problems like that but that isn't the only option and going to a platform like that has a lot of downsides number one they're usually proprietary and so you can't move off of them if they start to suck and number two they're usually way more expensive for the computing resources that you're getting so if you can do something like linode and i'm saying this because i do not because they sponsored this episode if you do something like linode where it's just a linux vps and if linode starts to suck you can move to any other Linux VPS service. Like, it's fine. You're, you're doing something like standard that you can put anywhere. Or you can move to dedicated servers. Or you can move to a Raspberry Pi in your basement. It all works the same way when you're like on like a regular Linux server. Um, and so anything you can do when thinking about running servers for your business, anything you can do to make it more likely that you will stick with like the regular Linux server path instead of going to something weird and custom that's going to be more expensive and proprietary, I think will serve you well long term. So one little one little quick thing I wanted to hit um, from Jacob Tomlinson, uh, who asked about server stuff and asked, um, how much server code do you write compared with app code? And I, I, this I thought was an interesting question to answer because just to give some idea for people who are who are starting out, like what to expect. And I mean, the answer is like, you know, be, between app code and server code, the answer really is it depends a whole lot on the app. Instapaper really didn't have that much server side code. Uh, Overcast has more, but still not a ton. Something like Tumblr had a ton because that was a way more complex web app that happened to also have iOS APIs. But if what you're mainly making, like in the case of Overcast and Instapaper, if what you're mainly making is an iOS app that has a web service to do some like auxiliary tasks for it, the iOS app is probably going to be way more code than the web app. Um, but again, it depends so much on what you're doing. I would say if your if your web app is that much code, um, you're probably not listening to the show. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think too the 
something that I have found t- like really useful in, in, in sort of in my career of independent development is the understanding that the more I can make my client do, do like I, the more logic I can push down into the client, the easier things like scaling and um, navigating, you know, the, the problems that you will hope to have of having lots of users um, get because you have a, you know, a, a modern iPhone is incredibly capable and can do a tremendous number of things. And like there is something that is just so nice about if you try your if you try as much as you can to not have huge huge reliance on your website on your server and instead push that logic down into your client like say you get featured in the app store and you you know one day you have 10,000 you know so sorry if you have uh, 10 times more downloads than you normally do like if you have if you're very server based you your best day just might have become like your worst day because now all of a sudden you have to make sure that you're scaling all of your infrastructure to manage that and it may be a very bursty thing it may not be long lived and it's just becoming really complicated whereas if you know for most of my applications they're they they have no interaction with the server whatsoever um and if they the ones that do they try I try and minimize that as much as i can just because then I don't have to worry about those problems. And I think in general, like from a broad, like businessy kind of perspective, I find that to be, to work well, that I don't, you know, that my, I can, you know, if, if my user base scales, my costs don't scale up, you know, they, they are exactly the same no matter what. Um, I don't have, I don't need as much of the kind of infrastructure kind of management, you know, in terms of like theoretically, you know, if you, if you were, if your servers are like the absolute essential part of your business, like you're, you're probably going to want to have not just you being the person who's getting alerts when they go down. You want to have you know, coverage for when you're out of town or when you're on vacation. And like things start to get much more complicated if that's where your goal is. Whereas if you can keep a lot of your code and your logic and the, like the value that you're providing to your customer in your app – um, then you don't have to worry about nearly as many of those problems. And, you know, it's like, and you can just take advantage of the fact that everyone who downloads your app is running a computer that is perfectly capable of doing a tremendous amount of computation for them. Um, and so it's like, it scales so nicely, um, in that way so that I would always kind of push as my, whenever I have an idea, it's like, oh man, but that's going to take a lot of, you know, it become, it'll be, it could be very server dependent. I become very cautious about if I should really go down there or if it's like, is there a way that I can just do this client side? And, you know, maybe it's like, I don't know if that's better, better or worse for, you know, applications at large, but I can say for being a one man, one man developer team, like that is fantastic. I can put all of my resources in one place. There's less area for bugs. There's less maintenance overhead that I have to manage. Um, And, you know, like it just works really well to de-emphasize that down that use servers, you know, like they're a powerful thing and allow applications that you couldn't build otherwise. Um, But the, you know, the less I can do there. Um, the better and uh, trying to make my web services, you know, large, largely they're just like, you know, sort of dumb repositories for data that just gets shuffled back and forth. Um, you know, that all of the actual logic and processing and things is happening client side. And that makes um, just everything better, I think. Although I will give one counter argument here is that if you are currently using, if you're currently avoiding a feature um, or using some kind of external service to do things that, that are very, very easy to do server-side, but you just don't want to set up a server because either you don't want to manage it or you are inexperienced in that area and you don't know what you're doing and you're maybe a little intimidated by it or scared to do it, I would say two things. Number one, 
running servers is easier than you think it is. It's like if you can write an iOS app, you can run servers. Um, and and it's really if you do it conservatively and just use basic like you know Linux stuff and package stuff, it's super easy. Um, and B things like you know sending push notifications. These are you know like th- there are certain things that apps need a lot or like you know verifying app purchases or verifying subscriptions stuff like that like very common things there are a million services out there that are happy to take large amounts of your money to take these problems away from you so you don't have to worry because they make it sound really hard spoiler it's not really hard to run services to do things like verify and app purchases or send push notifications those are extremely easy things to do you can do that on that five dollar monthly node server and so don't jump immediately to going to other crazy enterprise services when you don't have to. Try it on the server side first. It really isn't that big of a deal to do stuff like that. And a lot of apps need things like that. And your app can be way more powerful with a little bit of server side support. So I encourage you, if you're intimidated or if you haven't done it yet, learn the basics of it. You'll be surprised how far you can get. Yeah. And I think the best advice for, for like the theme, I think, in all of our discussions is just keep it as simple as you can and like a simple thoughtful code will go a long way with any of this stuff. And that's, you know, like don't, don't be scared of it. Just keep it simple and you'll be fine. And keep your stack boring. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye.